0: Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. This week we begin now what is known as Septuagesima week. Uh, There are three weeks before Lent where we focus on various themes leading up to the Lenten season. So today we begin that you will see that the themes throughout the week in both hymns and readings and homilies deal with the wonderful teaching of salvation by grace. Please join me then in the prayer for Monday morning on page 168 in the front of the hymn book at the beginning of the week i cry to you O holy father in the name of jesus christ that you would fill my heart and mind with your holy spirit that i may think speak and do only that which pleases you unite my thoughts and desires with yourself in the love of jesus christ cleanse my conscience with his blood that I may grow in you this entire week, yes, all the days of my life. Strengthen me with your might. Make me sincere in my love to you and willing to serve you and my neighbor. Teach me to resist the temptation of my own corrupt heart and the enticements of evil men. Make the vanity of this world bitter to me that you may become the more sweet Teach me also to bear the burden of this week. Lead me as a loving father and help me to follow you as your child and obey you. Bless all my labor and guide me with your wisdom that I may be cheerful and confident and also faithful in all my work. Be the beginning and the end of all my labor to your glory and my salvation. Amen. Scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the letter to Titus, chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. St. Paul writes by inspiration, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth, truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. When I was about a senior in college, my father thought it was important for me to take over my own car insurance work. And so sent me to our car insurance agent. I'd met him a couple times before. And while sitting in his office, he found out, he was asking me what my plans were. I told him I was planning to go to seminary, and we got into a discussion. He apparently, according to what he told me, was very involved at his local Presbyterian church, and uh, was an active deacon there and, and things, and started explaining all of the different things that he did in his congregation. And then he said to me, I'm hoping that God is watching all the things that I'm doing, so someday he'll let me into heaven and I hope he's seeing that I've tried to be a nice guy as best as I can so that someday I'll get to go to heaven. He said, what about you? (laughs) I said, well, I know that God watches me, and not everything I do is good and right. I've had a lot of sin in my life, but I'm sure grateful that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior and paid for my sins on the cross and the Bible tells me by faith in him alone I'm going to go to heaven. That's what gives me comfort. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, chicken or the egg, chicken or the egg." That was That was his response. Chicken or the egg. The distinction that he thought was so trifling and maybe unimportant and insignificant is ultimately the central doctrine of the Christian faith by which the church stands or falls. And understanding this proper distinction is the key to knowing the whole Bible and the whole Christian faith. And it ultimately comes down to the distinction between God's law and his gospel. Listen to the line from our text again. Not by works of righteousness, goodness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. But it's so hard for us even as Christians, to keep our hands off of the law. We keep wanting to gravitate back toward the law. There's a constant sense or magnet inside of us that that feels we've got to go back to the idea that somehow, somehow the way I'm living my life is going to play into this in some way and feel a need to inject something about ourselves into the process of how we get to heaven. As Luther said, there is nothing that dies harder in us than this religion of the law. He said, we all have a little Pharisee in our belly. Now this urge in us sometimes can really rise up and trouble people. uh, Sometimes even very devout Christian people. Many, many years ago, came to a congregation and had been told that one of the members had been so good at teaching children and youth in the congregation a wonderful christian man as far as i knew him i went to see him in the hospital he had heart trouble and he was absolutely terrified of dying and the reason was he told me is because he was remembering things in his own life that he had done back when he was your age and how ashamed he felt of all of that and i quickly began reading to him passages of god's grace and forgiveness and that it's not by us but what christ has done and I could see the relief come over him. But I thought, here's someone who's taught this to other people, has known it his whole life, goes to church all the time. And still, his heart was tempted to go back and try to get right with God based upon the law, which he knew, of course, none of us could ever do. A monk will never be justified before God by following the rules of his order, a nun will never be justified. By hiding away from the sins of the world. A virgin will never be justified by preserving her sexual purity. A teetotaling man will never be justified by his personal prohibition. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. As wonderful as all those things may be as fruits of faith, but depending on them in any way is a denial ultimately of the cross. Imagine that you had two people in your life. The first one is a person that lives in your house. This may sound a little too close to home, but the first one, imagine, is someone who lives in your house who is very annoying, and they're always around. (laughs) They're always around you, and they're always talking to you and kind of nitpicking at you, and they're always in the kitchen with you and in the living room getting in the way of things that you're doing. And even at night when you're going to bed, come in and and talk to you in your bedroom and are annoying you and bothering you, and they're always stealing things out of your dresser. They're always taking things that belong to you. Just a very annoying person. And each day at the end of the day, you kind of take an inventory and you realize that something is always missing. But then imagine you have another person in your life, a neighbor who lives a few blocks away from you, And they come to your door every day with a gift and a present. Something that you like maybe to eat. Something you might want to wear. Some little gift and offering that they give you. And each day that they come to your door, there's a new surprise and a new wonderful little gift. Think of that like the distinction between the law and the gospel in your life. The law lives in your heart all the time you know the commandments of god even an atheist knows the commandments of god in his or her heart and it's constantly pestering us with the things we do wrong it's constantly pointing out to us how weak we are and all the failures that we've done in our life it's constantly stealing from you and it's annoying the gospel however is a wonderful neighbor that does not live in your heart the gospel is an alien, foreign thing that comes from outside of you that God has established through the work of Christ. But when it comes to you and to your door, it brings you nothing but wonderful gifts and presents, full forgiveness of all of your sins, the holy, perfect record you need to be led into heaven, given to you in your baptism, the wonderful promise that someday you're going to get to go to heaven. It always shows up at your door whenever it arrives with a wonderful gift, with a wonderful present. But it has to be brought in from another place because it's not in you the way the law is. That's why Jesus says to us about taking the Lord's Supper, do this often. Invite this friend to your door often because you need this over and over again. The devil always wants to tempt me to drag me back to the sins that I have committed and back to that perfect law of God that I can never keep and to yell at me and to say, you wicked person, this is what God has said and you have not lived up to it. And he loves to rub that in my face. But we do not have a schizophrenic God who sometimes hates us and sometimes loves us. There is nothing but pure contentment in God's heart toward you because of what his son has done for you God's heart has already been changed to one of compassion and nothing but compassion for you because of the death of his son and he simply asks you to believe that I'm going to read our text again notice how it's just dripping with grace When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. To to make the point even more profound and pronounced that it's all by God's doing, he points you to your baptism, the simplest little thing that you didn't do, that somebody else did to you, to show you that that's how this grace has even come to you. So we always see Jesus rushing to the most crushed sinners to bring them this precious news of the gospel. Now, I want to address one last thing. When we've fallen in our lives, like I know I have, and you have too, when we have fallen, we might know and understand of God's forgiveness, but one of the hardest things might be forgiving ourselves is forgiving ourselves. Many years ago when I started here, uh, where you sit in chapel is often by be- times because of friends or for a variety of reasons. There was one young lady once that told me she always tried to sit way up in the balcony because she felt like she needed to be far away from God's altar because of something that she had done wrong. And I tried to reassure her of God's forgiveness over and over again. Because of what God has done for you through his son, God invites you in your heart to grab your chair and sit right at the top step because that's where he wants sinful people like us where we know that only there and there alone do we have his grace and compassion and the wonderful hope of being heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let us rise for prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful mercy and compassion you have shown us in the work of your Son, our Redeemer. We thank you also for sending your Holy Spirit into our hearts through the waters of baptism and your word, bringing us to that Savior. Keep us always around your grace and the marvelous hope that it gives us and the comfort and reassurance that we have of life in heaven. We ask this all in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Go in his peace. Amen.